You're listening to the Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast. Here's the deal. If you make disciples by sitting around and talking, you shouldn't be surprised when your disciples sit around and talk and talk and talk. This is the podcast for those weary of just talking and ready to start activating in the mission Jesus gave us to change the world. The Life-Changing Discipleship Podcast, where disciples and disciple makers gather to grow and go together. Here's your host, Dr. Matt Friedemann. Hey, dear friends, so good to have you with us today on Life-Changing Discipleship. Now, remember, the place for a man or woman completing all their powers is in the fight, the spiritual fight, and right now, today, making disciples of the nations. So stay tuned, stay encouraged. We have a rendezvous with destiny. So very good to be with you today, dear friends. We're excited about this podcast, excited, really honored that you are joining us for this broadcast today. And I'm uh, very excited to not only do it, but uh, to encourage you to come on aboard and let's find a way to change the world for Jesus using his methodology and his hopes for our lives. So on the dock of the day, since it's the first podcast of ours, we want to introduce your host just a little bit. That would be me and talk about discipleship, what it is and what's involved and maybe some keys to your getting more involved. And we're going to get to all of that right after this. Now, one of the sponsors for our program today is Wesley Biblical Seminary. Folks, I have taught at Wesley Biblical Seminary for 33 years. One of the best seminaries in the world, no question about it, and a place where you can come and check out the various wonderful things that we can offer you. There's a lay program called the Wesley Institute. There's our undergraduate program. Yep, <laughs> we've got a brand new college that you need to discover. Our master's programs and even our doctoral, our D-Min program. Really, we have something for all serious disciples. So check it out. You can go to wbs.edu. That's wbs.edu. So folks, my name is Matt Friedman. And again, I've been at Wesley Biblical Seminary for 33 years. Uh, attended the University of Kansas on a track and field scholarship, had a wonderful time there across the, the podcast. We'll be talking more about that in coming weeks. Uh, went to Asbury Seminary then and uh, got a Master's of Divinity there. Left Asbury, went back to the University of Kansas and got a doctoral degree. And my dissertation was on discipleship. It was on what Jesus did with his disciples, and how we might be able to learn from that model for higher education. And ever since then, I have been doing that, trying to make disciples in higher education for the nations from Jackson, Mississippi, and Wesley Biblical Seminary. And we've been very, very excited to do so, and God has blessed our efforts. And now we come to you with a podcast explaining some of these precepts and what they might mean for our lives in future days. Now, one of the things we do pretty seriously is take the Great Commission, uh, we look at it, we read it, we try to digest it, and we want to know how we can obey it. Now, remember the Great Commission. It's how Matthew ends up his gospel, and it's in uh, chapter 28, verse 16 to 20. And so I'll just read it for you. The 11 disciples proceeded to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
Now, this passage right after the resurrection now is the climax of the Gospel of Matthew. I would I would contend the resurrection plus this ordering dynamic. He wants us to order our lives for the making of disciples, and he sends us out, and that is the climactic point of this incredible, incredible gospel. Now, when we look at who Jesus gathered to himself during his teaching career here on earth, we find out that there are basically three types of of followers, curious, convinced, and committed. The curious are folks like the 5,000 or the 4,000 that showed up for the picnic. (laughs) They showed up to see this Jesus, and guess what? They got food besides. Those are curious people, and I think there are probably some disciples mixed in with those people. Are they all disciples? Nah, probably not. Do I really want to pay the price to go further with this rabbi? And I don't think they probably were all disciples, but there's no question there's going to be some disciples mixed in there. And then there are the convinced. Now, I think we could start calling those people disciples. I'm convinced that this Jesus is Messiah. There's a growing uh, understanding that he is God, the second person of the Holy Trinity, and then an understanding that maybe my life ought to be ordered around this Jesus. And then there are the committed. Those are the 12, the 12 disciples. And then three, Peter, James, and John, that seem to be uh, even more intimately bound with Jesus in the narratives of uh, the gospel writers. And so I, I think that this text, Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20, is really for those committed ones, those who are truly overwhelmed in the character of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Uh, Charles Wesley said, those who have been plunged into deity, and today we use those terminologies for baptism. Isn't that beautiful? What does baptism mean? It means you have been plunged into deity. (laughs) Then I love calling this the allness words, all authority in heaven and on earth, all the nations, Father, Son, and Spirit, all of God, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. I'm with you always to the end of the age. And all these allness words, which would lead us to believe that there's something special, something powerful, and something very unique about what Jesus is going. Then, four key actions. I want you to go, make disciples, baptize, and teach. But once you look at the Greek, and I'm not an expert at Greek, I've taken some Greek in uh, seminary, but I got a family uh, that there's a number of Greek experts in the family. Uh, And so I asked them from time to time, what does this mean? What does that mean? One of the things that they and a lot of other scholars have been able to teach me is there's one main verb in there, and there are three participles. It lends power. Uh, It lends an edge to the main verb. The main verb is make disciples. Now, if it were left up to me, I would have done a four-point sermon, going, make disciples, baptize, and teach. It's not a four-point sermon. It's a one-point sermon. Make disciples. How are we going to do that? We're going to be going. So as we are going, we're going to make disciples. We're going to be baptizing. We're going to be plunging people into deity. We're going to, by doing so, they're going to be overwhelmed by the holy character of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And we're going to be teaching them. So going, baptizing, teaching, that's how we make disciples. And this is just an incredible opportunity for you and for me to sit down and say, I want to know how I can be a part of that movement, the going, 
the baptizing, the teaching, so that we can make disciples that are Christ-like, make disciples that look like Jesus. And where are we going to do it? Well, he's going to send us to all the nations. And uh, I think you start with the one you're in, and you build the other groups from there. I, I, I've been amazed. How many people come to America, and they seem to be right in front of our face. We can make disciples of them. They can stay in touch with our families. They may even go back to their own nation. And by doing so, you've been a great participant in the making disciples of the nations. They come here for a while, then they leave, or they come here for a while and stay in touch with their families, and you disciple them here, but the the reverberations of that just continue to go and go and go. And uh, I just love the thought. Now, why do we do this? Why is this important? And this is where we all of a sudden get prophetic. Let's go here, turn our Bibles back to Daniel 7, verses 13 and 14. A lot of people think that this all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth is a fulfillment of Daniel 7, 13 and 14. This is what it reads. This is how it reads. I kept looking in the night visions and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. Now, remember, this is Old Testament. This is before New Testament. This is for Jesus actually arrives in the flesh. I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the Ancient of Days as, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom, that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Wow! That's the kind of movement you and I are part of. Here comes the Son of Man. Here comes Jesus, and all the peoples, men and women of every language, uh, he comes so that we might serve him. And his dominion is everlasting. It will not pass away, and his kingdom is one which will not will not, will not be destroyed. Wow. Now, what kind of Jesus is this? Remember, Matthew starts off with his word Emmanuel, right? And that means God with us. But at the backside of this incredible thing, he says, I am with you always. So there's presence in Emmanuel in the very first chapter of Matthew. And at the end, Jesus says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. I mean, how hilarious is that? How beautiful is that? Now, let's get back to discipleship. Disciple means learner. Now, how many of you are interested in learning more about Jesus, learning more about the Bible, learning more about what he wants, truly wants for our lives? If you are, in the Hebrew, they would have called you a Talmud. Or uh, if you had two or three of you together, we'd call you Talmudim. And the Lord wants to basically come into your life. He wants to download his life into yours so that you might become like him. Now, was that an unusual thing? It wasn't unusual at all. At the time of Jesus, when he came in the flesh, there were all kinds of rabbis who had all kinds of disciples. And Jesus comes along and says, well, let me just fit into that. Let me be a rabbi and I'll have some disciples. There was a big difference between the disciples of a leading rabbi back in the day and the disciples of Jesus. 
with so many of those rabbis back then, what they were doing was receiving resumes or whatever they would have used for a resume-like thing. They were receiving the best possible students they could, because if they could get these best possible students, then they could download their lives into these Tamid, the Tamidim's life, and they would go off and spread your message. Jesus doesn't do it that way. Jesus goes to some people who did not have master's degrees, who were not trying to earn their doctorate, who didn't have doctorate degrees. He goes to fishermen. He goes to a tax collector. Uh, he goes to some business people. He goes to some folks that are struggling with their lives. And he says, hey, I choose you. I want you to follow me. And when they began following him, by the way, they would have been honored. <laughs> Most of them would have been thrilled. Now, Jesus does, you can read about it in the Bible. Sometimes he says, follow me, and they don't. But typically, these folks would have looked up and says, you're talking to me? <laughs> yeah, really? you, you want me? You want me to follow you? You want, yeah, listen, I didn't think there's any way. Anybody would ever want me to be a disciple of his, to be a Tamid of his. But if, if that's what you want, and you know, a couple of them look over at dad and say, hey, is it okay? And dad's saying, shoo, yeah, yeah, yeah. If someone wants to teach you, you go, man, go. And so that's what happened. Twelve of them decided to pick up and go. Now, when that happens, any rabbi would have had an idea about what he wanted his Talmud, his Talmudim, to become. What he wanted them to be. Now, that's not unusual. Everyone has a definition, at least in their head, of the final product of their current efforts. It may be a formidable definition. It might be nebulous. It might be weak, but it's there. You know, what do you want out of your business? Somebody would say, oh, I just want to get rich. But not everybody. Some people will say, you know, I just want to serve people. I want to provide some jobs for people. So what do you want out of your business? You have, a, you have an idea in mind. Or, or what do you want your kids to be? I've written a, a book called Discipleship in the Home. Highly recommend it to you. But in this book, Discipleship in the Home, we have an, what we call an age 18 list. So when our children were very young, before they ever reached the age of two for the very first child, and we had six, we decided, what did we want this boy to be like when he's 18? And we had a list of, I don't know, about 50 characteristics. And uh, we worked that list. And therefore, we had a disciple defined, and we worked to make that disciple and I believe that's what Jesus is doing with his disciples. I know what I need. I know what I want for them to be. And I'm not going to be here forever. Jesus knew it. So what do I need for them to be to carry on this message, to carry on this enterprise, to carry on this mission? Now, if you're a pastor or maybe a Sunday school teacher or maybe in charge of a youth group, you already know what you want your church members to know or to do or to be. And that's what you try to do with your life. Now, if you don't know, by the way, you need to sit down and say, what's the five or 10 things I want them to be able to do behaviorally so that I can measure it? What do I want them to be able to do? And you just start writing things down and then you start making Sunday school members or small group members or church members that will be able to do those very things. That becomes your understanding of discipleship. So it's, it's simple. What is a disciple? I think you need to sit down with the Bible and decide, all right, what are the five or 10 things? You, listen, you could write a thousand things down. Don't do that. That's too much. But what are the five or 10 things that are pretty all-encompassing that I want them to become? So here's the principle. We are better able to attain a great outcome when we have a clear 
understanding of what we really want. Intentionality is the key. So we, in, in classes at Wesley Biblical Seminary, I have students all the time say, hey, listen, sit down and what are the top 10 things you want your disciple to be like? What do you want them to be able to do? And so they work on a list, I work on a list, and we, we come to some kind of understanding of what you dream for your ideal disciple to be looking like. And, and we believe that's what Jesus did. We believe that's what Saul, who became Paul, did. That he understood what he needed and wanted people to become, and they worked the angles to make sure that happened. So this is the kind of list, all right? I'm, I'm going to give you a list. By the way, you may well be able to do better than this list. Don't doubt it for a moment, you could. But here we go. Number one, a public confession of faith. What do I want a disciple to look at like in my congregation? I'm a pastor of a congregation. I want them to be able to publicly confess their faith, and that is probably understood to be baptism. I want them in front of other people to say, yes, I was a sinner, but now I've been saved by grace through faith, and I want to be put down into the water. I want to be plunged into deity. And so we'll do that. So number one is a public confession of faith. Number two, what's a disciple look like? Well, they ought to have a daily devotional practice almost immediately. After they begin that sort of thing, they ought to say, all right, I, uh, I want to be taught how to pray. I want to be taught how to read my Bible. Uh, they're probably very soon going to be taking the Lord's Supper. So you teach them these kinds of things. And John Wesley would call these the means of grace, but specifically, those would be called the works of piety. And then there were two works under means of grace. Means of grace is simply the road by which grace flows into my life. How's that happen? Through a prayer life. How's that happen? Through uh, daily reading of Scripture, meditating on it, and, and, and thinking through it. How's that happen? Uh, regular reception of the Lord's Supper. How's that happen? This is one we don't do much. Weekly fasting. How's that happen? Uh, getting into small groups and holding one another accountable. So those were what we would call the works of piety. So the first thing you want your disciple to do is make a public confession of faith. Second thing you want them to do is to be talking with the Lord on a regular basis, reading the Lord's Word. Uh, some of these other practices are going to be so very, very important, including and especially small groups. You want them surrounded by other believers, helping them, encouraging them, lifting them up when they fall. Uh, the third thing I would put down are works of mercy. Now remember, the means of grace are the roads by which God's grace rides into our life. There's works of piety, prayer, scripture reading, but there are also works of mercy. And you need some kind of weekly mix of a compassionate ministry, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked. Uh, let me tell you what I, uh, the sorts of things I do. I, uh, I go to a prison every week and preach the gospel, have Bible studies there. I go out to an abortion clinic and stand outside an abortion clinic and plead with women uh, not to harm their babies, not to lay, let their babies be destroyed. And so those are the things that I do and try to get other people to do them along with me. So public confession of faith, daily devotional practice, uh, a compassionate, weekly compassionate ministry. Number three would be evangelism. Uh, go start talking to your friends, your relatives, your associates, your neighbors, and start talking to them about this gospel. I would say weekly worship attendance, small group attendance, uh, a weekly internal ministry. Now, you can have a weekly compassionate ministry outside your local church, but how about a weekly internal ministry where you're helping build the body of Christ inside? I want them 
to regularly tithe because God will bless them when they tithe. God will bless us when we are lavish givers in response to his lavish giving to us. And then there are going to be ethical parameters. And sometimes your denomination has already worked on these, uh, or you can just open up the Bible and say, hey, what are the ethical parameters? Uh, what should I be doing on these particular items of the faith? Ten Commandments provide a good starting point there. But what are other things that uh, perhaps my denomination, other people that started my local church might be able to help me to understand, here are the things I do, here are the things I don't do. And then there ought to be a growing biblical and doctrinal literacy. I just named 10 things. That's what I would say is a great starting point to what it means to open your life up fully to Almighty God. Now, when I start out with that public confession of faith, I would also say there's that, that would be the first distinct work of grace in a person's life. The second major distinct work of grace would be the filling of the Holy Spirit. Your personal Pentecost day, where you are full of the Spirit, the Spirit takes total control of your life, and boy, do you ever start making disciples at that point. But we ask this question, what do you dream of your ideal disciple looking like, and how is it you're going to strategize to make that kind of person? If you can define a disciple, and if we could agree that the Great Commission in Matthew 28 describes a serious life, then making these kind of people ought to be a significant part of our life's calling. And you need to find a way to hold you and your local church accountable for making this kind of person. So, folks, that's what this program's all about, is we want to make very sure that we're doing all that we can to say, yes, making disciples is a very important dynamic of my life. And yes, I am strategizing a way to make that happen. Now, one of the key ways is going to be get people into small groups so you can hold them accountable for that kind of list. And to that end, we have written a book called The 5Q Method of Discipleship. We're not going to talk about much today, but there's going to come a day soon on this program where we talk to you at length about the 5Q method of discipleship. You could go to Amazon.com right now and order up if you wanted to, but I'm just saying, great little book, and it talks about how we need to take Scripture seriously in our small groups so that we can make disciples, how we need to take worship and adoration very seriously in our small groups so we can make disciples, how we need to make change. You know, it says repent and believe in the gospel. Repent means change. Let's stop getting blessed by the word. If by blessed we mean, hey, we like it, but we're not going to change anything. We need to change some things. And next week when we come together, we're going to talk about how we changed our lives because of last week's Bible study. And then the fourth thing is simply, let's give thanks. Let's give testimony to what God has done in our life. And then the fifth thing is, let's pray for one another. Uh, we call that supplication. Let me just pray for one other person around this circle that they might be all that Jesus wants and needs for them to be this week. So that's five cues, scripture, adoration, change, testimony, and supplication. When we do those things in a small group setting, I think Jesus is very pleased. Let me tell you a little bit about my life at Wesley Biblical Seminary. I have 10. Now, my church comprises a, uh, two or three of those groups, but I have about 10 of these groups that I do every week. And what's amazing is, 
once you read this uh, book, The 5Q Method of Deception, and once you get one of these cards, and I have one in my hand right now, on one side of the card is uh, the five steps. On the other side of the card are the means of grace, the works of piety and the works of mercy. Once the words on this card uh, take on flesh in your life, you're not even going to believe what Jesus is going to start doing in your life. You're not going to believe the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through your veins into a hurting and lost world. It's an amazing thing that God does with five questions regularly applied, lovingly applied, joyfully applied to your life. We call it the 5Q method of evangelism. And friends, I am excited about this podcast because what we're going to do in days ahead is discuss not only 5Q, we're going to continually discuss the various dynamics of discipleship that we believe Jesus wants us to take very seriously today in our world today. Folks, there's a world out there that, that desperately needs people like you and me. Jesus said it. After he gets done with the Beatitudes, Jesus said, hey, y'all, and he meant you all, you're the salt of the earth. Hey, y'all, you are the light of the world. Now, the salt of the what? Not just your church, not just your small group, not just your neighborhood, not just your family. You're the salt of the earth. Let's take earth seriously. Let's take people outside of our four walls very seriously. Then he says, you're the light of the world. Let's get out to a world that's hurting, that needs the Lord, that needs the infusion that only the Spirit can bring to the situations that uh, challenge us so desperately, and let's let her rip. And folks, that is the vision of this program. He wants us to make disciples. He wants us to be life-changing disciple makers. Let's let that happen in us and through us for the glory of God. All right, it's a wrap. You honor me today by listening to Life-Changing Discipleship with Matt Friedemann. Hey, check out our Facebook page, Life-Changing Discipleship with Matt Friedemann, and check out our books at Amazon.com. Type in Matt Friedemann and see what's offered. And always, always tell us about our podcast. And remember, my wife thanks you, my daughter thanks you, my sons and their wives thank you, and I can assure you that I thank you for listening to Life-Changing Discipleship today. We want you to love God, live clean, Keep the faith, make disciples, and God bless you, dear friends. We'll see you back here real soon.